It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. afternoon you're listening to gambling with an edge now here are your hosts bob dancer and richard munchkin good afternoon welcome to gambling with an edge i'm bob dancer and i'm richard munchkin today richard and i are doing another one of our mailbag shows first question from a listener let's say i put a hundred dollars into a machine and play it down to ten dollars but forgot to put my card in and realize it only when i have ten dollars left Then I insert my card with only $10 of my $100 left and finish playing off the $10. You think the Players Club will give me credit for the entire $100 of play or only credits played when my card was inserted? Well, I think only when your card was inserted, you can ask them, but basically I think you're SOL. Next question. Let's hear yours and Bob's biggest fails on your AP adventure. Richard. Oh, well... Uh, the first one that came to mind was in 1985, I, I somehow, I heard that, uh, two things. They had early surrender on the island of Curacao and, uh, there was a magazine back then called Gambling Times and, uh, I read it religiously. And there was a tiny ad in the magazine that said a new uh, casino was opening in Aruba and they were going to have a single deck with surrender. And so I thought this sounded like a tremendous opportunity. Now I had, uh, I was retired at that point in 1985, (laughs) as Uh I've done many times. Uh, But I called up uh, my friend, Daryl, and I said, hey, uh, there's this opportunity. And he's like, okay, let's go. And uh, so the first thing I did was I called him back and I said, okay, we leave in three weeks on Friday. And he said, why are we leaving in three weeks? And I said, well, if we were to leave sooner, the tickets would cost us like $800. But if we wait three weeks, they'll only cost us, you know, $350. And he said, 
we're we're talking about going to play a game that might be worth a thousand dollars an hour, and you're trying to save you know five hundred bucks on an airline ticket, and uh, and it really sort of woke me up. It was a kind of a big uh, learning moment for me because prior to that, you know, I was on a team where you know you had to drive an extra six blocks if you could save two cents on a gallon of gas. So um, and this was my first real uh, team play with him. Anyway, uh, so we fly off to Curacao, and sure enough, they have early surrender, and we uh, promptly get stuck uh, $30,000 or $40,000, and we end up extending our stay, so we have very little time going to Aruba by the time we leave Curacao. We fly to Aruba, and now we go to every casino we can find, and there is no single-deck game. And uh, so we end up coming back home. And later, uh, we found out that there was a new casino and we had missed it. We had asked people where it was and it was still so new that people didn't know about it because it wasn't right on the beach. And uh, so we completely just missed it and never went there. And they did have single deck with Surrender. And uh, we heard that the guy who found it after we had been there won $300,000 before they stopped him from playing. Wow. So, uh, yeah, uh, another big, big lesson learned about the thoroughness of scouting. So, yeah, that was my first big epic fail that came to mind. And I don't know about what my biggest fails are. I've had several thousand losing sessions, uh, often more than one the same day. And everyone I felt I had the advantage. There's a story behind every one of them. And I don't know many that will be all that, that instructive. Now, two come to mind. I don't know if they were my biggest. Um, the M was given away a new Land Rover worth about $50,000 to whoever earned the most points over a particular time period. I won it, but I lost $60,000 on the play getting the $50,000 car. I was playing 50 cent, 50 play, double, double bonus for $125 a hand. Uh, it was 9-6, which is a 99% game, but often it had uh, double or triple points worth points six or point nine and with other things it was not all that much of an edge to give up uh, i wrote about this in my blog and was informed by dozens of people that knew everything that only an idiot would lose sixty thousand dollars when the maximum win was fifty thousand dollars i try to get them to look at it from the point of view of me already having lost forty thousand dollars at one point at the start of the last day I had a $120,000 coin-in advantage, but $25 single-line games were available, and my opponent was well-known to play them for hours on end. Playing $50,000 coin-in hourly on such a machine was no big deal. It happened it was a double-point day, so I planned on playing another $100,000 as a cushion. The expected loss on that much play was about $1,000, offset by $600 in cashback. A reasonable price to lock in my win, I thought. Unfortunately, that expected loss of $1,000 turned into an actual loss of 15000 
I had a room at the hotel that day and was upstairs writing, napping, whatever. Every couple hours, I'd drift down to the high limit room and see if she showed up. Eventually, she did, about five hours before the promotion ended. Basically, she could time me if she played to the end and I didn't play at all. I let her know that I had already played today and she was and was out of reach, hoping she'd conclude that she couldn't win so she wouldn't play. She told me she was going to play and didn't expect to win. So I sat down and played some more, somewhat slowly, um, uh, checking to see how long she played. If she was still there in two hours, I'd start playing um, faster. She left an hour and a half later while I was losing another 5000 I checked once more an hour later. She wasn't there, so I figured she couldn't beat me if she came back. I didn't know what my score was going in was going to be over that last little bit of play. I could easily have won quite a bit. It was only after it was all over that I knew what my score was. And some people would conclude a $50,000 prize, $60,000 loss. You're an idiot for doing that, period. Um, And I couldn't explain that to anybody. Yeah, I, I don't consider that a fail at all. I mean, you played with an edge, you had a losing session. I mean, that, to me, that's not a fail. I mean, but haven't you must have had things where you sat down and you were, you know, grinding away on a game and all of a sudden realized you, it, you weren't playing the game you thought you were or something. You know, I've, I've sat down at a blackjack table and uh, all of a sudden I find out it's six to five when I didn't realize it when I sat down. Uh, you know, that would be a fail, but, um, you know, just having a losing session, I, I don't consider that a failure at all. It's just another day at the office. <laughs> well, one early in my career is uh, there was a Casino Royale on the, uh, and they were having uh, double royals. And uh, I found a $5.96 Jacks are Better game that, uh, at that point, I'd never played a $5 game in my life. So this is uh, $25 a hand. and But with a double royal, this was going to be good. And so I, uh, but nobody else was there. And there was another machine. And one of the rules is if nobody else has found a, a good game, often um, it's not as good as you thought it was. Well, eventually, I did hit the Royal. I was been making all the strategy adjustments, like holding Ace-10 and whatever else. And I hit the Royal. And then I brought out the coupon. And the slot director said, well, we would be happy to pay you, except this says a Royal Flush in clubs, and yours happens to be in spades. There you and, go. Now that's a fail. <laughs> and so uh, I... It ended up winning $10,000 on the play, but I had been making plays, bad plays all over the place. And it happened that right as I was waiting to be paid and they were on the, um, the machine was on, some of my students came by and I just started teaching classes at the old Fiesta and they saw I had held an Ace-10 and they asked me when I was going to teach the advanced class to tell them when it's right to hold an ace 10. And because clearly I hit a royal, so it must have been right. And I was Bob Dancer, so I knew. And I, all I could tell them is, guys, at the time, it seemed to be the right play. So, 
So there you go. Got- that I think that qualifies as a fail. <laughs> Actually, uh, you know, another another one comes to mind. It's not really my well, I'm partially to blame, but um so um there used to be uh online casinos that had um a particular software that a lot of the different online casinos used and they all had a progressive deuces video poker that that was spread across all the casinos and um so it got up to be a positive play and uh now i'm just making these numbers up because i don't remember exactly you know what what the numbers were but um uh let's say that the the jackpot was um supposed to be 20,000 to make it positive and um it was like way positive and so i called my brother who was living i think in uh hong kong at the time and um i said hey get <clears throat> i left him a message because uh he was uh wasn't awake <clears throat> and i said hey this this play is positive uh, when you wake up, you know, get on it. And, uh, and so I was playing it on several accounts and, and, uh, my friend Daryl was playing on several accounts and, uh, Daryl hits the jackpot. And so it resets. And, uh, so I feel great about that. I go out to lunch and I come back from lunch and I get an email from my brother and he says, uh, you know, I hit the Royal. And I said, wait, what do you mean you hit the Royal? Daryl hit the Royal. And he says, no, I hit it, 17,000. And he did not get my email until after Daryl had already hit it and it was reset at, at lower. And he he was basically making a negative play because he didn't know what the number was. I had just told him, get on this when you wake up. So, um, so I was definitely uh, <laughs> at fault there, I guess. So another epic fail for you, but another one where we made money. <laughs> Yeah, the hard to hard to convince that only plays your your worst failures were when you made money. But anyway, let's go on to the next question. What's the optimal way to build free play in your guys' opinion? Less days, more volume, or total volume? And I'm assuming they're talking about slot play. I'm not sure slot slash video poker, but most casinos base free play on some combination of average daily theoretical and your loss. Playing a given amount of money in one day is better than playing the same amount over two days. If you have a big loss, it's probably better to quit now because playing more is just going to dilute your loss. Uh, With that said, different casinos have different policies. Some will allow you to build up your free play and let you come in and pick it up over the next three months without further play. Then you play again. Others will cut off your free play if you pick up your free play without playing some that same day. Players generally view free play as payback for past play. Casinos generally view free play as an incentive to get you to come in and play some more. So there's going to be differences of opinion. And every casino is a little bit different. Right. But in general, it's way better to group all your play into one day than spread it out over multiple days. If you can. All right. Next question. I'm relatively new AP and blackjack. I'm running into a lot of dealers who like to play my hands. 
it's quite annoying when I have to call them out to bust a hand because they went and hit the hand. Is there any advice to keep dealers in their lane? Richard. Yeah, stop being nice. I mean, just make it really clear. They're your cards. You play them the way you want, you know, and then call the pit boss over and tell the pit boss, like, this dealer keeps playing my cards for me, and, you know, I don't want them doing that. Just be rude about it. Um, you know, I mean, they're your cards. It's your money. You know, you, you wouldn't go into a restaurant and and order a burger and fries and the waitress says, oh, no, you can't have those fries. Those are bad for you. You know, you wouldn't put up with that. So it's the same thing. It's your money. All right. Next question. When starting out building a bankroll, what AP moves should you avoid and why? Well, uh, don't spend money on optional stuff like tobacco, alcohol, marijuana, stuff like optional stuff. Postpone vacations. If there's a significant other in your life, make sure that person's on the same page. Keep your car a year or three longer than when you normally train it in. Drive an economical car. Um, you know, cash every yeah, coupon I, you can. Yeah, I don't understand. He, he says, what AP moves would you avoid? And I, I don't really understand what he means. Although I would say if you're trying to, if your bankroll is small and you're starting out and you're trying to... Um, I, you would want to avoid things that were super high variance, right? So you want to grind and, and get more of a bankroll behind you. So, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't bet your entire bankroll uh, at 10 to 1 on a coin flip if, if it wasn't replenishable just because if you lose that bet, you're wiped out. So you, you, you would want to avoid those kind of super high, like, like for example, a, um, you wouldn't want to play a um, progressive video poker or something that might take you, you know, weeks to hit or, or might bust you before you hit the Royal, something like that. Good. All right. Next question is addressed specifically to Richard. Have you ever or heard of someone who has schmoozed a casino manager or person in a similar position of power in order to prolong a play or throw them off the scent. Oh yeah, we've had people on the show talk about that. Somebody fairly recently uh, was talking about becoming very friendly with the casino manager and playing golf with them. Um, and and um, yeah, that that works for a while. But you know, they really tend to have their feelings hurt when they finally figure out that uh, you know that you're an advantage player. So. Um, yeah, it is a way. Now, in the case of uh, Tommy Highland, he was doing that with a with a casino manager down in St. Kitts, and the guy ended up uh, finding out he was a card counter and putting a gun to his head and demanding his money back. So, uh, yeah, it it works uh, until it doesn't work. Eventually, you will be found out and uh, and backed off, just like anybody else. And and the pro the problem that goes with it is he's not going to forget you. Doesn't matter how long you wait. He's not going to forget who you are. So. All right. Next question. Recently, I discovered a new video poker machine at a local Indian casino. It looked more like a slot machine and have different games that you could play from three hands to 10 hands at once. It also was a super times pay machine. And when certain conditions were met, 
in the game, you can unlock up to 15 additional hands on the next game as a bonus. I was playing double-double bonus, five hands per roll. On one roll, we were awarded all the extra hands on the next roll. So we went from five hands to 20 hands for one roll only. I was dealt two pair, aces and tens, and one other card. My question is, in this scenario, would you just hold the aces and hope to catch four of a kind, or hold both pairs and shoot for a full house? All right. Uh, I don't know what game you're talking about. Super times pay by itself does not add more hands, but rather adds multipliers to the existing number of hands. Without knowing the exact game or pay schedule, uh, even without knowing that, it's safe to say that in all versions of double-double bonus, if you're dealt two pair aces up, you just hold the aces. That's kind of a um, basic strategy on all double-double bonus games. All right, next question. Um, it's for me. Is am I able to maintain seven star status with Caesars despite what appears to be a lack of attractive video poker options in Las Vegas? If so, how do you do this and how important, if at all, is this to you? Um, yes, I play at seven star level um, and I also play with Juan Bonnie's card. So we both have seven stars. Um, I'm a math major, so I know that's 14 stars, although that doesn't mean anything. Uh, in Vegas, I don't play video poker. I play slots there. Uh, there are other casinos I play video poker at um, in the Caesar system. Uh, they're only available for certain denominations and stuff. You can look on VP Free 2 and find out what they are if you're interested. All right, next question. I've heard Colin Jones talk about testing people when he was running a team. Richard, I'm sure you did the same thing when you were vetting players. One person Colin was testing said he used a non-high-low system, uh, maybe KO, and pretty sure Colin and most others use high-low. What is the process of testing at a live casino table you can accurately test someone using a different count system? Well, on the teams that I played on, everybody used the same count system. So um, we wouldn't be able to test them in a live casino um, if they were using a different count, you could test them at home on the kitchen table, but, um, the teams I played on, we all use the high low and, um, you know, the, the, we would test each other at home on the kitchen table. And then, uh, we would go out to the casino and someone would sit with you at the table. And at the end of the shoe, you, they would watch you play. They would keep count. They would watch your playing uh, decisions, your betting decisions. And at the end of the shoe, you would tell them what count you had. So some people on the team took it more seriously than others. Um, I remember, you know, a test out I had where I had two teammates who were there who seemed to be having a very good time and, and not paying that much attention to the test out. But, um, but yeah, anyway, that's, that's the way we did it. If they weren't paying attention, were they serious enough to still be on the team? Well, yeah, this was a team where they were already on it and they were testing me. And, ah. um, and, and so I, you, you know, to do the test, um, I went down to the Golden Gate downtown and um, I was going to be betting uh, 25 to two hands of 500. 
and and I got there. I got set up on the game. I had my chips, and my teammate shows up, and this was a $1 table, and he walks up to the table. He's wearing a suit and tie, and he buys in for three single dollars, and the pit boss comes running down the pit and says, he can't play. <laughs> and so we had to uh, find a different casino to go play in. And we thought the only place that my teammate could play without bringing a lot of heat was a place across from the El Cortez at that time was called the Orbit Inn. It, it then became the Western. And uh, they had a $25 max and a $1 minimum. And uh, so we just reduced the units down to, you know, one to two hands of 25. And uh, uh, yeah, another teammate showed up. And so the three of us were all on the table and it it became kind of a party. Sounds like it. The uh, Western used to be known as a break-in house where the dealers would make all kinds of mistakes and that was um, a gravy train for for players is um was that true at the time you went well they wouldn't they wouldn't take any action at all it might have been a gravy train for you know uh nickel players but uh i remember the last time i went into the western i walked up to the roulette table and um the the dealer spun the wheel about as hard as she could possibly spin it, the the roulette wheel. She just flings this wheel and then, you know, spins the ball. And the wheel slowed down, slowed down, and came to a dead stop before the ball ever left the track because it was so old and need of, uh, you know, greasing or whatever that, that she couldn't get it to spin long enough for it to keep going before the ball dropped. That was the kind of joint the Western was. All right. Uh, Another question for Richard. I've read in many books, most recently, The Blackjack Life by Nathaniel Tilton, and other places that mention wonging and backcounting. People talk about it like it's something easy to do and a skill to develop. Is this still a practice among current APs? This seems like a good way to draw scrutiny. How do you pull this off without just staring at a table and appearing to have more than just an interest in waiting for an open seat? Uh, Well, yes, it's still used um, all the time. And just don't look like you're doing what you're doing. I mean, one way to do it would be to stand with your back to the pit and make it look like you're not looking at the table, but you're waiting for somebody and you can turn your head whenever they deal the round and count the round and then not look at the table. You know, just, just don't stand there intently staring at the table, uh, counting cards. And if you can't do that, it means you probably need more practice. Those are kind of the same people that when they are counting cards, stare intently at the layout and sometimes their lips are moving while they're counting. Um, it just means you need more practice. All right. Next question. We're going to take it for sure because he addresses us to gentlemen. Now, clearly someone who knows what he's talking about. Far I learned, more respect than we deserve. I learned craps as a sophomore in college in the 70s. 
while studying mathematical statistics. Our professor has us throw dice and record the outcomes in order to prove randomness. I learned early that the game is nothing more than probability combined with a little luck. My winning method has always been slow but normally a sure thing. Inasmuch as craps is random, I've always followed the last decision, pass or don't, Martingale, and hope I can win one time before six or seven decisions. Anything beyond losing seven decisions will require a larger bankroll. The game can be complicated but winnable. What do you think? I'm going to try this one first. The base game in craps has an edge of 1.4%. You can add on an optional even money bet, taking or laying odds, but your base game is still a loser for the player. A Martingale system cannot turn a losing bet into a positive one. With this system, you'll usually win a little, but every so often you'll lose a lot. Maybe all your money, or maybe you're just going to run up to the house limit. Um, And when you lose, you're going to lose more than what you want in your small winning sessions. In general, no betting system can make up for playing a game where the house has the edge. I would just add, you get an F in your probability and statistics class if you don't understand, (laughs) if you didn't understand that answer. I, I don't know how you could have been studying probability and statistics and think that that would be a winning system. All right. He may no longer call us gentlemen. Next question. I'm down a lot of money playing a high variance games like 9-6 double-double bonus or 9-6 triple-double bonus. The casino I play does have the opportunity to play 9-6 jacks or better in that I gain an edge with promotions. However, it seems like chasing the royal flush is a very tedious process for profit and people playing there all complain of lacking royals after a long stretch of time. Should I only play positive 9-6 jacks with promotions and stop entirely playing double-double bonus and triple-double bonus and take my significant losses? And how should I get my losses back? Should I still give a try at either double-double bonus or triple-double bonus at some time in the hope of getting dealt four aces with a kicker or something similar? Please give me suggestions and thank both of you. All right. In round numbers. The Jacks are Better game you referred to returns 99.5% with low variance. The double-double bonus game you referred to is 99% even, and the triple-double bonus is 98.2% with a very high variance. Variance goes both ways. Sometimes you win big, sometimes you lose big. Personally, I would never play a 99% game if one for 99.5% with the same benefits were available. And it's relatively rare slot club that even makes a 99.5% game profitable. You say it's profitable with the promotions at your casino. I have my doubts. Insofar as getting your losses back, I would not look to gambling at such poor games to do this. I would look towards getting a job or another job or selling an asset inheriting a bunch, um, marrying well, uh, maybe divorcing well, something else. When I look to gambling as an income source, it starts with only gambling when I have the edge. And that's not the situation you describe here. Next question. About a year ago, 
My wife and I were gambling at a casino in the Bahamas. We settled down at a free bet blackjack table. There was one other player at the table. It took only a few hands to see the dealer had no clue how to deal this game. He was paying on 22s and allowing free bets on any hand. I mean, any hand. I nodded at my wife and the other player. We all knew what we were going to do, and we hit it as hard as we could uh, so as not to draw heat. Up comes Mr. Honest Player. The first time he was mispaid on a 22, he stopped play and told the dealer. The other player kindly said he should keep quiet. His response is, they'll catch it eventually, and I don't want to sit here while they review the tapes. A few hands later, we were all paid on a 22. Mr. Honest felt the need to report this as well. This caused a suit to be called and get all our bets turned into pushes. At this point, myself and my wife and the other player all gently told this guy to shut the fuck up when it involves other people's money. A short time later, another dealer air on my hand, and this guy stops play again. Suit comes over again. We all tried to quietly encourage the other player to find another table, but the jig was up. The dealer got sent away, and the suit started dealing. Game over. I've heard both of you speak on getting civilians and annoying players off the table. Any new tips? This casino was no smoking, and I don't smoke, but I might have started to get him off the table. Our attempt at gentle nudging to leave failed. Any new advice to get this player like him to shut up? Richard? No, it's extremely frustrating when that happens. Um, and, and I mean, you, you do what you can. Um, you know, those are the guys who wanted to be the hall monitor in high school to make sure you had a pass before you went to the bathroom. Uh, yeah, I mean, the only thing that you might try, one thing you could try is coughing a lot and saying, man, I hope I don't have COVID. You know, I can't get rid of this cough. Um, that might help. But uh, yeah, I mean, you can be as rude as you can to the guy telling him to shut up, but some people just are, will not be deterred. Unfortunate, just goes with the territory. All right, next question. Hello, Bob. I'm from Toronto, Canada. I was intrigued about video poker and wondered if it's still beatable in casinos today. If so, which books and strategy do you suggest? Yes, it's beatable, but not as easily as in years past. And in years past, the games in Canada were considerably tighter than the ones in the United States. I don't know the current environment there. If you want an introduction to the game, I recommend my own video poker for the intelligent beginner. Next question. I'm a contract blackjack dealer with a local Las Vegas Knights type of organization and hear strong folklore about the advantage of being the player at third base. I understand blackjack is not a team sport. I understand that statistically blackjack is a series of dependent events where one hand does, does influence another. I also understand that the influence is just as likely to be good or bad. Please clarify, clarify under what condition, if any, are there to sitting at third base. There really isn't. I mean, there there is a small amount of, very small amount of advantage if you were playing, if you were counting cards and you were playing in a game where the cards are dealt face down 
um, you know, and maybe it was a single deck game and you get to see a few extra hit cards or the cards of the other player's hands when they double down, things like that. But really, it's it doesn't make any difference at all. This idea of the third baseman affecting, you know, whether the dealer busts or not, that's all nonsense. Um, there's really no advantage to sitting at third base. What about if you can see on a face-up game, you can see all the cards kind of at one glance, whereas if you were sitting in the middle of the table, you have to move your head back and forth to see them, making it more obvious that you're counting. Not much. Not much. And in my own case, I would rather be sitting in the middle just because I see them better than if I'm sitting at third base, that like to see the cards over at first base. I mean, I can see them, but um, yeah, I, I actually prefer sitting more in the middle. Now, sometimes right. it can be an advantage because you can see the dealer's whole card from that seat. Now, that's a that's a situation where it's an advantage to sit in what we would call the lucky seat. Right, and that, and that could be any position depending on that particular yeah. dealer. Okay, next question. Assume you play with an edge and haven't seen a four of a kind for 30 minutes playing jacks or better. Would you switch from 9-6 jacks or better to 9-6 bonus deluxe or 9-7 triple-double bonus? You have an edge on all three games and would want to try your luck on other games if you do badly on one game. Okay, I don't change games based on what has happened over the last hour day or week. I choose games by looking forward, including the base game, slot club, promotions, etc., assuming I can afford the swings. Of the three games you mentioned, I'd be playing 9-6 bonus poker deluxe from the get-go because it returns more than the other two. Next question. I have a regular 40-hour a week job. I plan on keeping it long-term, and I want to do AP stuff on the side or as a hobby. Even when I try to explain what I'm trying to do with gambling, my family and friends can't seem to understand it. Since both of you are APs, have you run into this scenario and how do you deal with it? Have you both been able to achieve balance and so friends and family don't wrongly label you as an addicted gambler? It's getting really frustrating and any advice will be appreciated. Richard. Well, yeah, of course, I, we've all run into this a lot. It's uh, uh, a major issue for many, many professional gamblers. And uh, I've talked on the show a lot about it. It was impossible for me to uh, meet women who didn't think I was a degenerate gambler. Dating was a nightmare, um, you know, and and one of the reasons I married my wife was because she got it right away from the beginning. She understood that what I did was a job. Uh, about the only thing that you can do is, um, first of all, I probably wouldn't talk about it to them anymore if they're just not going to get it. But the other thing is to keep records. And, you know, once you have a couple of years worth of records that show your consistent winning player, well, it becomes harder and harder for them to argue with you. But yeah, that's the only advice I can give. Yeah, and I'm, um, I've am i been doing this for so long, and as a writer and a teacher, that they don't really question that much so much whether or not I can do it. So, um, but it's tough. I should say, I should say I was 
really uh, fortunate growing up that my parents, they got it right away too. Um, now, part of that was while I was in high school, I started gambling in high school. And while I was in high school and college, I had a bulletin board in my bedroom and I had pieces of paper up there with all of my results based on different games, poker, backgammon, gin rummy, you know, whatever I was gambling on. And my dad would come in and he would look at the pages and say, oh, you know, you're doing much better at this game than that game or, or whatever. Um, and I had a grandfather who had consistently made money playing poker for his entire life. So my mom kind of just understood that some people could actually make money uh, gambling. Yeah. And I don't know if this is entirely relevant. In my case, I've, I've been married to Bonnie for eight years. And there was a lot of resistance from her family member, especially her daughter, when we started. The daughter was concerned that I would lose all my money and then take Bonnie's. And um, so, um, so that was a concern. Over time, the daughter came to realize that um, that I was successful at what I was doing and I was taking good care of Bonnie and so everything was fine. Well, fast forward about six years and the daughter and her husband move to Las Vegas. Uh, her husband was dying and has since then died. And But now she lives close to Bonnie and, uh, and they're, they hang out a lot together. And I set up the daughter with a friend of mine who is a successful gambler. And there was no, and they've, uh, they've done well together and whether, how long they're going to last, I don't know. But the fact that he was a friend of mine and did something similar to what I do, now the daughter is open to the idea that he could be a good guy to go out with. Whereas before I came along, the daughter would not have been open to that idea at all. Um, of course, you probably wouldn't have met the guy either. But uh, but your experience can change based on you know when you know. Okay, so we're going to have some commercials now. Richard, you get to go first. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Well, if you're serious about card counting, the Blackjack Apprenticeship Membership is a great way to learn, train, network, and get the resources you need to succeed. We've had quite a few guests on Gambling with an Edge who exclusively trained and got their start through Blackjack Apprenticeship. Check out the website at blackjackapprenticeship.com. They have member forums, training software, and guides to help you learn. 
That's blackjackapprenticeship.com, and you will find a link in the show notes. Videopoker.com is the best play to play lots of best place to play lots of games. If you sign up for the gold membership, $8.95 a month or $79.95 a year, this allows you to get correction on most of the games. Game of the week is good times pay. Six to ten coins per line, random multipliers, but it's always a hundred percent bonus. Uh, when I played at the South Point, um, is it real often? But the best game is quarter triple play NSU, which is $757.50 per play. I sometimes play that game while I'm waiting for a nearby machine to open up. It is um, it's a lot more interesting to play than single line NSU. It's the same decisions, but having three pops at it is a lot more fun. If you're interested in getting the edge at sports betting, then unabated.com is a great resource for you. Founded by frequent gambling with an edge guests, Captain Jack and Rufus Peabody, Unabated is designed for both new and experienced sports bettors. Their real-time odd screen tools and calculators take a lot of the guesswork out of trying to quantify your edge. There's also plenty of free education and instruction to help you along your journey to becoming a sharper sports better. You can currently take advantage of a seven-day free trial to decide if the premium membership at Unabated is right for you. Back to our questions. In a recent show, one of you got a question about managing your bankroll. Richard said that in the beginning, he kept six months' worth of living expenses separate from his gambling bankroll. That sounds like great advice, but thinking back to those days... What would you do, Richard, if you didn't have enough left in your gambling bankroll? Would you have stopped gambling and gone back to work as a dealer or something else? Um, What if you only had three months living expenses? Okay, so when I started playing, we had um, devoted bankrolls that would play until they hit a certain target. So when the bankroll started, let's say the the bankroll was going to be $50,000 and there were five of us, we each put up uh, $10,000 in cash and that became the bankroll. And we did not have access to that money other than for playing. Now, I hear about players who play with a 5% risk of ruin or a 3% risk of ruin. Our risk of ruin was zero. Because if we lost half of that, now, oh, wait, so I put my 10000 into that bankroll. I have six months worth of money that I've set aside to live on. Okay, now the bankroll, if we lost half of the money in that bankroll, we cut our bets in half. And if we lost half of it again, we cut our bets in half again. So our chance of going broke was almost zero. I mean, yes, it could happen, but or or the the bankroll could get theoretically so small that it wouldn't be worthwhile to play anymore, or you wouldn't be able to spread your bets. But but that never happened. So now the other question is, what happens if the bankroll lasts more than six months and you start to run out of personal money? Well, fortunately, that didn't happen to me, so it it never. It never came to that. And I was pretty conservative. Um, You know, maybe I would have, maybe I would have had more than six months, you know, or I might have uh, stocks that I could sell if I needed to, if it lasted longer than that period. 
of time. But anyway, that that's the way we approached it. Very good. And I never kept mine separate. When I started, I moved here and I had $6,000 and that was to live on for two people and to gamble with. And um, we just scrounged as best we could until it grew. Um, probably I got lucky at good times and that was one of the secrets to my success. Uh, I don't know that that's duplicatable. The, um, but I never had a totally separate bankroll. Next question has to do with free play strategy. Off, um, oftentimes making the trip to Vegas among my friends is determined by the free play, free slot play offers we receive. The question among the group is what's the proper denomination um, strategy to spend the free play? Some of us feel that it's to play at the same levels as we would normally play at and hope for the best. Conversely, others claim it's better to use free play at a much higher denomination per bet in the hopes of hitting a much bigger payment, uh, one that would normally not be eligible for us at our normal level. What do you guys think? All right. I don't think free play money is all that different than regular bankroll. Let's say you have a bankroll of $20,000 and you get $500 in free play. Well, I think you should make your decision assuming you have a bankroll of $20,500. That $500 does not have any magical quality that the rest of the bankroll doesn't. Next question. What are the common issues gamblers can run into with depositing, withdrawing large cash sums with banks? Any strategy to avoid getting things frozen unnecessarily? Richard. Well, I, I haven't heard of people having their account frozen, but I've, I've heard many accounts of getting backed off from your bank. The bank tells you, we don't want your action anymore. So... Uh, yeah, the best thing would be to go in and talk to your banker and say, look, I am in this business and I have a lot of large cash transactions. And some bankers are going to say, you know, we don't want it. Um, it depends on where you live. Like if you if you live in Las Vegas, you're much uh, more likely for them to understand uh, those kinds of things. But um, and and some banks are worse than others. Wells Fargo is particularly bad with large cash, cash transaction. Um, you know, people with a lot of large cash transactions. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just part of doing business. I, I would try to avoid it also. I mean, if possible, just keep a lot of money in cash so you don't have to deposit it and withdraw it and, you know. Yeah, you can. Yeah, I keep money in cash in various safety deposit boxes around town. And when it gets too much, I start taking checks for Royal Flushes and depositing checks. And they and they have no problem uh, depositing those checks. And if it gets too low, well, then I use my lines of credits and withdraw and pay off with it. Um, pay off with a check to the uh, casino and keep the cash. And so that is no problem. But I have, but I'm a slot player, video poker player, where since I have W2Gs, I use my real name. So that puts me in a different situation than 
many of our listeners, but I have not had a problem with, um, I basically don't deposit or withdraw large sums of cash. All right. Next question. I'm an amateur but capable card counter who's been playing green chips for a while. I'm looking to step up my bet from 25, 150 to 50 and two times 400. I'll know I'll need an emotional bankroll and we'll see how that goes. Any other suggestions to watch for or be ready for? If I have a winning session, do you advise rat holding to obscure my win? Richard. Well, you can't rat hole if there's nobody else at the table betting the same color chips you're betting. So, so yes and no. Yes, you should rat hole, but you have to do it in situations where it, where they can assign those chips to somebody else. Um, yeah, I mean, just realize you are going to get more scrutiny because you are betting more. But um, yeah, I mean, if it feels uncomfortable to take the swings that you're taking, well, maybe cut back until you get more comfortable with the with those amounts. And you've mentioned before, don't cash out your chips immediately after playing. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah that would apply even more if you're playing bigger amounts. If if you're going to come back to this casino in the relatively near future, if you're just passing through, you kind of have to. Next question. Do we think using a food comp and not playing hurts our offers? Well, different places have different policies. Each general manager or vice president of marketing can make up his or her own policies and can change them at will. I suggest you put this question to a host. They probably know the policy at their casino. But at Caesars Properties, it, they're going to trip you if you do a, use a food comp, right? Um, maybe. Um, if you're seven stars in in the in the local, they they've done away with their diamond lounges and their seven star lounges, and so now they give you a laurel offer, which for seven stars means you get um, $10 in food credit a day, it has to be spent before midnight, and four drink tickets, which are up to $25 per drink. And I asked my host if we could, uh, if it trips you, and the reason I wanted to know was if we, if I was playing on an offer for me, but Bonnie was joining me for dinner. Could we cash her Laurel vouchers and use that in addition to um, without tripping her? And his best guess is um, using the Laurel offers, which were small, but uh, did not affect offers. And our experience is that's true. Um, all right. So one more question. How are full-time APs, especially those playing primarily table games, able to generate cash out, or excuse me, able to cash out enough chips to generate their income without giving up their ID or generating excessive heat? Richard. Well, if you if you cash out 2,000 a day, that's 700,000 a year. I mean, I don't know how how big your expenses are. <laughs> but uh, it's pretty easy to cash out as much money as you need 
just keep it under $2,000 per cash out. And why are you mentioning 2000 instead of 3000 or some because, other? Because, well, some, some casinos, it's 2500 some it's 3000 but some it's 2000 uh, You know, and if you go to a, uh, the Gold Coast, uh, every $500 chip, they have to call the pit. Um, so, uh, but you know, under 2000, you are pretty safe in, in 90 plus percent of the casinos out there that you're not going to have to show ID and, and don't do that. By the way, don't walk away from the table with $12,000 in chips and go directly to the cage and cash out, you know, 1900, walk out the door, come back at another time cash out your 1900 or, or the next time you come back before you start to play cash out 1900 and you still have your chips from the last time you played. Yeah. If, if you make it a point of uh, cashing out 1900 a day out of your 12,000 without additional play, that is structuring and you probably won't get caught, but it is against the rules. And well, but if- but Bob session says if you're only doing it to avoid giving the casino your identity, then that's not structuring. He said that on the show in the past. And if you have your wife with you, she can do it. And, you know, very good. So now we have a reason to get married. Okay. Uh, thank you. Uh, uh, we're out of questions for now. So send them in. We, uh, we like doing these shows and, Actually, Richard and I both learned something while we're doing the show, and sometimes we have to look up stuff. So um, keep sending it to uh, gamblingwithanedge at gmail.com. Uh, Richard has a Twitter account. We each have email addresses, which are fairly widely known. So keep them in, and we'll try doing this. At the end of our show, we frequently have a recommended section. So Richard, do you have something to recommend to our audience today? Um, yeah, I've changed it at the last minute. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, I have to, um, but don't let me forget what I was going to recommend this week. So for next week, but, uh, I, there's a, a podcast, Colin Jones has a blackjack apprenticeship podcast and the most recent one he has on, uh, two people who, uh, have sued casinos successfully were abused by casinos, uh, egregiously. And um, they've kind of taken it upon themselves to be of help. I guess one of the guys has finished law school and is working on his, you know, bar exam or something. Um, but anyway, for table games players, it, it's uh, definitely an interesting listen. And uh, I forgot what the name of it is, but, uh, but we will put it in the show notes. So check that out. It's the Blackjack Apprenticeship Podcast. It's interesting. And, and We'll link to the specific episode. The one guy, I mean, basically was chained to a bench for like six hours. Mm-hmm. And there, there is a video of it on YouTube. Um, and he managed to um, record with his phone the audio. So uh, it makes for uh, interesting listening and watching. Interesting that you say studying for your bar exam when this is about being barred from casinos. And, uh, oh, well, my recommendation is uh, David Baldacci's series in order. Now, I've mentioned earlier that I've been a big fan of David uh, Baldacci novels. 
Uh, previously, I read them pretty much in the order they came out. And he comes out with like two a year. But he has several series. Um, and uh, they're largely but not entirely independent of each other. There's a John Puller series where uh, he's an army criminal investigator with a brother who is falsely accused, accused of treason. And he has a a father who was his famous general, but now has Alzheimer's. There's a Robian Real series where they're paid assassin for the CIA. There's an Amos Decker series where a football injury gave him unusual powers and liabilities. And there's several other series as well. And so when I read them before, I just read whatever book came along and it would take a while to get back in and put together all the pieces. So now I'm going back and on audio tape, listening to the series and orders, all the John Puller books in a row, and then all the Roby and Real books in a row. And I'm getting a whole lot more out of the books than I did the first time around. I read them not that long ago, but it's an entirely new experience, and I'm enjoying it. All right. Um, keep your questions coming to us. Uh, thank you, Richard. Go out and hit lots of royal flushes, everybody. Good day. Oh my gosh, I'm adopting a puppy right now. But I realize what's at home. Oh no, I have nothing. Well, except unconditional love. But yeah, no crate, no pee-pee pads, no dental chews for his little puppy teeth. Before I doubt myself as a new parent, I just get Instacart to deliver everything from PetSmart. Easy, just like raising a puppy is going to be, right? Get Pet Essentials from PetSmart with Instacart. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.